Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. For today, you know, we've got Carl Yost here, who is the CEO and chairman of Black Diamond Advisory, um, big into the finance space, big finance background. So uh, I think the, the topic that is on top of everybody's mind is just how can customer success and finance get closer during these times? So um, Carl, I don't know if you have any perspective here, just uh, initially of what you've seen maybe over the last couple of weeks uh, and some of the businesses that you've been working with, you know, is there a, uh, a strong connection that you can see being forged between customer success and finance? Um, and what do you think you know, customer success leaders should be thinking about uh, during this time that relates back to a finance leader, a CFO, who's, you know, thinking a lot about the the forecast of the business and the financial aspect. Yeah, Jeff, I, uh, I think one of the first things that we're definitely seeing is the much tighter relationship between uh, customer success and kind of revenue uh, components of the business and the finance organization and their understanding of you know, the basic cash flow ramifications of, you know, the impact of, of this virus. Um, I think the, the unique part is that there's always been kind of a cordial uh, relationship there, uh, respectful relationship, but now there's an intimacy that I think is really benefiting both sides. Um, one of the things that's definitely happening is there's a lot more focus on um, obviously cash forecasting, but forecasting in general and really using tools and capabilities to, to get some science and some predictability. Um, you know, our perspective is that customer success is kind of the defender of cash right now in these organizations. Uh, you know, it's probably not a lot of net new um, opportunities that are they're being driven in B2B. And so um, the, the keepers of cash are the, the folks that can kind of retain um, the current cash flow of the organization and the CFO um, and the finance organization knows that. And so there's, there's a lot more focus around um, the, num- the metrics that the customer success folks always kind of focused on, but now those are becoming kind of key metrics for the organization's cash position. Um, so it, it's really, obviously we've seen more innovation in the last few weeks than we saw in the last few years. Um, it's just becoming, you know, um, to use a word, you know, imperative um, to the organization. And, uh, you know, there's no question that this will also benefit both departments long-term. Yeah, there is a, um, I think there's an interesting dichotomy now where you you start to see a little bit of the, you know, I think in organization sales leaders and the sales teams are always kind of objectified as like this, you know, they're the growth engine that are really making us get from 50 to 100 million. Like, you know, everyone just thinks it's like this glorified position, I think a lot of times. And I think it's interesting uh, spot that we're in because you mentioned, you know, new business isn't necessarily booming for a lot of uh, SaaS businesses right now. And so you've kind of got customer success now taking that uh, candle, at least for the minute, because, you know, we do have customers that we need to worry about now. I think one of the things that we've talked a lot with our clients about is the, the aspect of forecasting and how we can use some of our methods like account health scoring, uh, relationship quality, um, just business levers, you know, or business metrics about your clients that are going to help, you know, put into a forecast model. Um, but what, you know, from, from the finance standpoint, what are the things that they're really wanting to know from, from like a customer success leader during this time? Are there specific, you know, I think um, obviously I'm sure there's different financial models or forecasting models that you're looking at, but is there, are there a couple of, of specific things that you feel like customer success leaders, 
if they don't know, like today, they're already kind of behind the eight ball in terms of what they should be giving their finance teams? Yeah, I think the, the number one thing that they can give a finance team is, is a concept around forecast accuracy, right? So I think everybody's okay with the unknown variables, right? But the, one of the things that I would stress to the customer success leaders is to really build um, what we call a pacing model around these metrics and be able to demonstrate, you know, accuracy around the things that we do know. Um, the finance leaders can kind of handle the unknown and they can isolate those variables, right? But what, what they're struggling, uh, what they struggle with is when they miss on the knowns, right? Is when they, they should have known the trajectory of a certain um, retention component or revenue component. And so one of the things we're trying to urge all of our customer success leaders to do is work with finance organizations on, on a pacing model, which means basically taking your four or five key kind of variables that drive revenue, revenue retention, and ensure that you have a really good understanding of how that paces with um, the actuals as they come. And if those things are off, then really get um, scientific about where the misses are and why those things are missed and use it as an opportunity for learning. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we've seen is, uh, you know, it used to be more of an accounting exercise. So basically, um, hey, every month or every quarter, there would be an exercise to kind of attribute revenue trajectory and things like that. Those things are becoming daily exercises. And, and so now we're in an opportunity where we can, you know, learn, you know, have a learning model, you know, so that we can get smarter every day about what we know and what we don't know. Um, so I think that's, that's the most important thing that customer success can do for finance is, is, you know, start to put more, and I wouldn't call it a pure scientific model, but to put a little bit more math into the equation around, you know, the projection of, of some of the variables that, that kind of tie to revenue and then ensure that we're monitoring those over time um, to make sure that we have, you know, some of the key drivers around our ability to accurately project, you know, um, revenue. Because the, the biggest issue we have right now um, isn't the downside, right? It's actually upside. So basically people are, are too conservative right, in their revenue and making, you know, very, very drastic kind of changes based on what they believe to be kind of worst case scenarios. Um, if we can kind of generate some confidence around, you know, a different band of revenue that I think, you know, other decisions can be made. Um, but the finance organization can only deal with cash, right? And given kind of liquidity crisis that we have, they're just very, very protective of that cash. So that, that's why they lean a little bit more to kind of worst case scenarios. Yeah, Carl, that's, that's, that's great. And the, you, you have a perspective that I think is pretty unique. It could be really valuable for the people who listen to this podcast around um, just the, the things that CFOs are thinking about. So for people who don't know you, you've got a lot of exposure to fortune 500 and like large companies and their financial planning and analysis kind of cadence. This idea of revenue operations has emerged in the, in the SaaS space over the past I don't know, 12 to 24 months. And, and the idea behind revenue operations is that it used to be sales and marketing ops, right? And that's like just to get a good beat on how much revenue, how much new revenue we're going to be bringing in the door. But everybody's coming to the realization that no, it's a big picture thing, right? Like it's, it's not only the revenue, new revenue that's coming in the door. That's only part of the story. And the bigger you are, the smaller the part of the story that is. So it does start to involve things like customer success and these other signals coming in from your accounts, you know, that, that give you an indication of health and well-being of that, that annuity, right? So I wonder if this, if this idea of bringing all the revenue 
components together in one operational team? Sort of, is it, are there parallels from the Fortune 500 world that you've been exposed to um, that we can learn from there? And, uh, you know, like, how, how, does that, how does that translate for you relative to what you've seen? Yeah, I think um, I always think about retail in, in regards to kind of where B2B SaaS is. Um, because, you know, in retail, there was a time where there was a lot of disparate kind of information um, around product sales in store, around pricing, around retention, around kind of buying behavior, buying patterns. And, and there they're just started to be a lot more focus and a lot more sophistication of kind of bringing all those things together and bringing the data together to kind of inform that organization. And so no one's more sophisticated now. Um, in revenue operations than, than a really good retailer, right? And just the level of detail they have and the level of patterning they have. Um, and obviously, they're, they're, you know, just their understanding of psychology, right? And a buying experience and presentation and things like that, right? So um, there's a whole science. And obviously, we've had a, a wonderful opportunity to work with some of the largest retailers in the world. And there's just an incredible science to the revenue component of those organizations that I'm starting to see in B2B SaaS and kind of customer success um, driven, kind of revenue operations driven organizations. And, and this, this challenge will provide an opportunity for sure to get a lot sharper. And I'd say the other thing that's interesting about that is um, when that started to happen in retail, the finance relationship with the revenue organization changed permanently. And there, there was a lot more trust um, there was a lot more um, uh, of kind of unified kind of thinking um, around these things. And so today, retail CFOs, you know, uh, you know, basically operate, you know, in a world, uh, you know, of intimacy in these things that, that, you know, 10 years ago, they didn't even know. Like they had, they had to go to their salesperson or their store leadership and basically ask, hey, how, how are we going to do next quarter? Now the finance organization knows by day, by day part, by, you know, channel yeah. product, everything else, right? And there's, there's just a level of detail now. And so the, 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 the adage was always retail is detail. And I think now, you know, just in this short period that we're in, we're starting to see that, that same kind of adage kind of come, come to play. Yeah, I, I, I think the role of the CFO has changed a lot over the past, I don't know, what you'd say, maybe 30 to 50 years. But to that end, like in, in SaaS, we always talk about everything being interconnected, right? Like if you make one change to your product, it's going to influence how you have to sell it. If you change how you sell it, it's going to probably influence how you have to support it and that type of thing. And when you have a tight cycle like that with so many different components making up the, the offering and the product and the brand, if you throw one of those things out of whack, it messes everything up. But also if you don't have full visibility across all those variables, it can be a big problem. And I've seen, you know, I've had CFOs play a, a pretty big role in, in helping to tie a lot of those things together. CFOs that I learned a tremendous amount from in that, in that scenario. So. Yeah. I wanted to come on this podcast to, to make sure that we, um, we basically use this opportunity for CS leaders. So, so the finance organization is going to change dramatically in the last few weeks in um, a B2B SaaS organization. It was an abundance model before, and it was basically a capital model, right? At, access to capital and about growth and about, you know, adding users and they were telling the story to potential investors. And now, you know, their role has changed to an, a pure kind of operating role, right? Where they're, um, you know, there's 
there's kind of two kinds of PE firms. There's firms that kind of do a kind of investment and uh, optimization, um, you know, in an organization. And there's PE firms that are traditionally associated with B2B SaaS, which are about growth and abundance and, you know, talent and all these things. And so they're having to flip the switch a little bit in the last month and become, you know, these, these uh, operating CFOs, right? And I just ask all of the CS leaders to really appreciate the change that's happened and try to be a big part of, you know, the asset base that that's supporting that, that individual and that organization. Um, because they're maybe not necessarily, they haven't had as much experience or that experience is they haven't been able to, they haven't had to use that tool in a while yeah. to, you know, they, they were understanding cash flow in a totally different manner, right? They were trying to figure out how much more growth, right? What type of, of cash flow, debt versus equity, those things. Now they're flipped into a model, right? Where, you know, they're trying to understand cash burn by day, by function, right? And who to pay first, you know, on the accounts payable side, right? And, um, and, and I think it's funny because, uh, years ago when these B2B organizations started, that was the same mode they were in, right? So it's not like, you know, the organization remembers when they, they selected payables, you know, and they focused on their first few customers. And I think we just need to all get back to that mode a little bit more. Yeah, there's a, I think the interesting thing that you mentioned here too, is just about, um, you know, we get asked the, the question a lot, like, oh, how many CSMs should I have per account? So how many CSMs should I have per revenue? And I think, you know, we've always looked at it from a perspective that the CS leaders haven't taken enough of a scientific approach to that, like really segmenting the entire customer base, looking at the revenue for each customer band, looking at the number of accounts and then building the engagement model and then mapping in your, uh, you know, your structure of how you're going to put your team and your resources aligned to that segment. And so I think this is now another opportunity too during the same time period to try and get scientific um, about that model, because I think the word that you used earlier that I really latch onto is defendable. Um, I think a lot of times the customer success leaders that we've engaged with have felt like they walk into a, you know, a board meeting, they walk into an executive meeting and uh, to Jay's point earlier, you know, revenue operations, sales operations, marketing operations, they've all got science and data to back up why we're making decisions. And then the customer success person is saying, well, I need three more CSMs or I need this amount of people. And there's, they haven't really had the science to say, okay, well, why, why do we need that? How are we defending that? And I think this is another opportunity to get back in that mode of thinking of how do I defend my decisions with data? Um, and, and really leverage what you have available to you, um, both from the finance side and learning about how they're forecasting, but then also giving your perspective on, um, on the customer base, on the engagement model, on the things that matter to the customer success org in order to drive the right retention. Yeah, and I, and, um, I think the unique aspect of this is I don't want um, your, your listeners to, to not forget just the influence the CFO has at this time. Um, okay. You know, they, you know, it's, it's, they'll think about it for two minutes and then it will, you know, say it'll be so. And, so, um, and they do respond to data, right? And they really want to understand the story here, um, especially in relation to, you know, having the customer success leaders kind of tie the concept of cash and customer success, right? Because that is by definition kind of the only source of kind of reliable cash flow to the organization. And um, the more science, you know, that both organizations can kind of come together with some understanding. And I think the other thing I would say is um, back to credibility and trust, right? If, if you defend too much, right, then basically kind of lose all trust and accountability. And then it just becomes a numbers exercise 
on their side. Um, you know, and you know, they're, they're trying to do the right things clearly, but you know, I think that, um, like any of us, we, you know, we will all respond to a logical argument. Right. And, and the other thing is that's where I think taking these data elements and taking pacing and time and showing, you know, not just, so try to state what you believe the impact's going to be for the next few weeks and then go back to that finance person and say, see, here's what I thought was going to happen. What I thought was going to happen actually happened. Um, here's 10 accounts that we were able to kind of retain through these methods. Um, the other thing is, Make sure that the CFO becomes a little bit more transparent to the organization's efforts, um, because a lot of times this level of detail is not necessarily, you know, what the CFO is is that interested in in normal times. But I, I think they're very interested in these activities now, um, especially Pareto's side, right? So your top, you know, the 80-20 the around your customers and their retention and their activities and their communication, you know, um, they, they need information too. So feel free to, to share freely and abundantly um, with that organization. Carl, I love even the if they're idea. not asking, even if they're not asking for it, by the way. Yeah. Even yeah. if they're not asking for it to basically say, Hey, just want to let you know, here's what we're seeing with our largest customers. What a great oh, way sorry, to build. Go no, what a, what a great way to build credibility is go to them proactively and just provide information. They may not be able to use it at the time, but like build that bridge, I think is what we're encouraging our you know, folks in our community to do. So, um, I love this idea of the pacing model and like it's okay to put an assumption out there. I think a, a, a lot of times we see people who are hesitant to put a, an idea out there or a stake in the ground on, you know, a forecast or uh, an assumption. But I, I, I like the way you talk about that because it's it, about revisiting it constantly just to see how close we're tracking. And I think that our, our teams right now, the teams that are touching the clients most directly are going to have to make a lot of assumptions, right? And then validate those assumptions as we go, as opposed to trying to have the right answer right out of the gates. It's just not possible at any time. Yeah. No, and no one's looking for, you know, for that, that they, everybody understands that there's not, you know, everything's not known, right. But it's your ability to basically, have a learning model that then allows you to be more predictive um, in kind of revenue cycle, revenue understanding right now. Um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, there's a concept right now where um, you, you, you may, may want to think about the CFO and the finance organization as a prospect, right? I mean, they need to be converted to, you know, a believer in, in, your, in your product, in your service. Right. Um, and so, you know, just thinking about them as, you know, an independent, as you think about your customers today, um, I think it's maybe an interesting concept, right? Because, um, you know, like I said, there, there hasn't been the need for this intimacy, um, yeah. you know, just in real, just in real terms. And, and I also think that, um, you know, that intimacy can breed some really incredible things on the backside of this, right? So there, you know, there can be a true understanding now of value and customer success at the end of this cycle, right? Um, there's a tremendous opportunity for future investment, for automation, for, you know, data components, you know, all the things that, that I think we struggle a little bit with people to understand. So that's what I mean by treat them like a prospect, help them understand your value problem, help them understand what you do, what roles you're playing, you know, in terms of communicating with these customers, how much value that, that is starting to attribute, especially in terms of, you know, the concept of here's 10 customers we're going to spend time with and here's 10 or not, and here's basically the outcome of, of that, right? Um, yep. 
And I think lastly, you know, one of the things that I know you guys have spent some time on is really understanding the customer journey and kind of what effort should be placed towards each segment, you know, and now th that's what I mean by model, right? We need to understand whether, you know, that variable is, is working in a time like this and whether more investment may need to be made and, you know, leveraging other people in the organization to, to play a role in contacting customers and, and, you know, spending time talking to people. And, you know, I mean, we've seen some very unique kind of behaviors, you know, uh, very, very, you know, creative ways that, that organizations are trying to demonstrate, you know, their value. So uh, we've all gotten the emails now or the thousands of emails from the CEOs of, of, of every co company, right? But the reality is what, what's the real aspect of that that we think actually works um, for retention and for revenue prediction? Um, the last thing I'd say is don't forget a lot of, of your clients are trying to predict the activities of their clients because a lot of the revenue is associated with some level of activity of, of their business model and how they use your solution or how they use the product that, that you know, we, you're consulting to. And I think that's another key aspect of this is trying to drive more intimacy and understanding of your client's business so that you can be more predictive. And that's what I mean by retail, right? That's, that's where the magic of retail really happens is understanding the actual consumer and their behavior so that you can attribute changes in that to changes in your business and be a lot more reflective. Yeah, that's awesome. That. That like, good. Do, do things that don't scale is what comes to mind, especially right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. we're, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up here. This is hugely valuable, Carl, but maybe like as we part, so what is, what is it for a customer success leader who has never really gone in and had a deep discussion with the finance team before, give us like one, just one idea, like what's the right first conversation to have with your CFO or your controller when you walk into their office for the first time as a, as a CS leader? Yeah, and I, I'd say, you know, the, the key component um, that you want to have some connection on is, is centered around retention, right? That they're going to be keenly focused on retention and the, its implication on kind of cash flow and understanding cash flow cycle, right? So, yep. you know, a client stops today, stops paying today, you know, whatever. Um, I, I'd say that's the best place to start the conversation. And don't forget, there's an intimacy that you already have as a CS leader that they don't have. And so I think it's just knowledge, right? It's, let me just tell you a story about our customers, right? And who's staying and who's leaving and why they're leaving, right? So that you can kind of put some, some real world understanding in the CFO, right? Around what's going on. And then, you know, and I think the second part then is obviously solicit their, um, solicit their input and solicit basically their involvement in kind of this, this process as it relates to financial forecasting, but also as it relates to kind of some of the things that you need kind of from the organization um, to ensure that that retention remains as high as possible. Uh, one of the things that's so, I think, understated is the influence of the CFO in terms of driving behavior for the entire organization, totally. especially at this time. Yeah. Right. And so if you have a platform where you believe that certain things need to happen in the organization, then, you know, the CFO tends to be the consigliere or the psychologist, whatever you think of them, but they're extremely influential for the whole organization at this time. Um, and I think it's, it would behoove all your leaders to, to have a direct line, uh, a much more intimate kind of relationship. And, um, you know, one, like I said, that's built on trust. So. 
Awesome. Perfect, man. Perfect note to end on. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us, Carl. I know you're busy too and you got your own, your own business to run and think lots of things going on. So we appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for the time, guys. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.